The Country 107 Morning Show with Dave Anthony. I'm very excited to have in studio for the first time in a long time, longtime friend of the show, all around good guy, Quentin Blair. Hugh, it's great to see you. Every time we sit here and talk, I always want to be in. That's Throwback Thursday music. Man. You know, it's so funny. I actually uh, had somebody come up to me the other day and talk about that when I said, All right, Quentin Blair's going to come in, and they're like, I loved the music minute. It was so good in the mornings when I would hear it. You know what? That I'm glad that you said that because it, it must have been within the last two weeks. I was talking to someone somewhere, and they said, how come you don't do that music minute thing anymore? And we kind of just, they said, like, we, we would tune into that. It, it's funny that, like, such a, you know, fun thing that we started off doing actually you know people cared about boy it really took off too and you put a lot of work in, but it, it took off because of the work you put into it and your love of music and then the history that you would get into it even surprised you sometimes absolutely which yeah. is which is a really cool byproduct of what you were doing and you know who we'd be doing this week we'd be doing the judds absolutely right? Like, you know, it, I like, was just thinking that. It's a way to be relevant, and there's so much that's still, the history of country music is still so closely um, related, and then you, you, you find people like the judge, the, the, like, they're not necessarily in the spotlight spotlight anymore, but they're such a part of the fabric of country music, and they've got such a repertoire of songs. I was playing at a, at a birthday party a couple of weeks back, and... Love will build a bridge, right? And they're just like, can you play us some of the Judds? And like, yeah, let's go. <laughs> so yeah, I, I remember that video still. There's an eagle soaring over the canyon. <laughs> I'm probably, I don't know, 13 years old watching TNN in my parents' basement after school one day. And I'm learning this song. And I'm going, this is amazing. So country music, it's timeless. Yep. Love it. So. Let's, talk about, uh, let's talk about playing music because you're, you're doing that a lot more than you have in the last couple of years. How does it feel to get back out there again? Crazy. Crazy. We had first rehearsal uh, this week. We got another rehearsal on the weekend, and we'll see how that goes. If we need a third rehearsal, I mean, we're just used to. We, we would never. We would go an entire year without rehearsing because we're just always, always playing. And now it's kind of like you get these long breaks, and you're like, I think I remember that song. I'm pretty sure I do. And then you go to rehearsal, and you're like, Yeah, I, I do. I didn't play it great, but I do remember it. And so, you know, a couple more times, knock the rust off, and you'll be all right. But um, yeah, there's there's so much kind of like legwork involved and like picking up a new PA and tuning the PA and you know new light stands and now we got to program all the lights again and you're just like I had two years to do all this stuff (laughs) but at the same point you had nothing on the horizon so it's like why even bother am I going to play music in two years I don't even know at this point and now here we are and it's like well it's go time now and it's a different kind of pressure because w- when you were not playing music the last couple of years, you had to occupy your time. You had to find other things to do. You you know, had to find other ways to bring in income. Yep. Now you're responsible again for your band. You are the one that is going to set all this stuff up. It's a whole different kind of pressure that gets layered into the life you have away from the stage. What's it been like kind of putting those two together again? Well, part of uh, part of what happened in COVID is I had a, I had a great team lined up heading into covid and then with covid and work stoppages like kind of all that falls apart and now if anything i'm just back to a one-man show again and it's a little bit like of a a struggle for things like you know paperwork let's say like (laughs) really really bad at (laughs) signing contracts because i'm such a like i'm such a small town guy anyways and like 
you say you want to book me for this, I'm going to play for this amount, and we'll show up at this time, handshake, done. But the reality is, for insurance purposes and stuff, you've got to have contracts signed. But um, so <laughs> I know there's a bunch of promoters out there right now going, oh, I can attest to that. We asked him six times for the contract. He sent it the day before the show. <laughs> Not quite that bad. But, but so I've actually been working on a bunch of automation. So here's how the technology kind of plays into it. And you're like... Um, I want to have stuff just happen automatically. So when I book a show in, this contract goes out, you get a quick voice, QuickBooks invoice that goes out and like whatever, all these phases that used to have people doing the job. Now it's like, you know, here we are. I got to figure out a way to do this myself. So yeah. I don't want to be doing the paperwork. I'll get the computer to do it for me. Yeah. And you can even sign contracts online now mm-hmm. and email them right back. I mean, <laughs> look at us. <laughs> like, well, it's all like brand new technology. <laughs> it's been used for years. Yeah. We are old. Yes. I, if it was a typewriter, it would, I would be happier with that. But yeah. we'll stick with computers. Well, I tried, I tried like a, like a carrier pigeon and, uh, just. <laughs> just it flew in circles and yeah. nothing got accomplished. <laughs> it was uh, Quentin Blair in studio. Quentin, talking about technology, you um, you know, you, you hear the music that comes out nowadays and, and how produced it is and how much that goes into it. And then you just break it all down and go right back to the roots of it. Like you are just still a heart and soul guy that loves telling stories and, and that's what makes you who you are. I mean, how tough was it to, to find that or, or to keep that going through the tough times of COVID? I, I still wrote a little bit. I played a lot at the beginning of COVID because music is just such a part of my life. And then really for the last six months, year probably, I haven't played as much. I miss it. But, you know, like you said, life gets busy. You find other things that you got to do to, you know, put food on the table kind of thing. And so, um, yeah, it's kind of one of those where I'm like, I'm looking forward to kind of jumping back into it. But, um yeah, I'm still that storyteller at heart, even though on a couple of the new, the new tracks that are coming out, you'll hear a different kind of sound in them. And what we're doing is uh, we're working out of Toronto. Uh, so I fly out there. We do a lot of our production there. But then we, modern technology, we ship the parts around the country. And so we can have folks playing fiddle from Edmonton and we can have drums from Australia. And that's kind of how it works now. So we'll be in the studio live. They'll do the tracking we'll listen to it right away say yep we like it or you know no change this part on it and then ship it back to them and so yeah we're doing music on Dropbox now how do you is- feel about that as a guy that you know has kind of grew up with a guitar and sitting next to someone or sitting mm-hmm. across from someone in person shooting back and forth ideas or short uh, shooting back and forth riffs what's it like to have you know music created through Dropbox now you understand that it's just about economics and you go I was talking with Dwayne Thompson so Dwayne is a, a producer a songwriter based in Nashville he wrote uh, Champagne Night for Lady A and that's uh, his name Dwayne like, Dwayne yes you're well, not I think s- it's, no I think it's Dave <laughs> and then somehow he got the nickname Dwayne because it, it always says Dave and then in brackets Dwayne Thompson so but he's known as Dwayne everyone knows like saying his name wrong yeah no, no just, yeah <laughs> I, I thought it was a bunch of text errors the first couple <laughs> times but so so working with Dwayne and what you realize so I was, I was down in Tennessee in September doing a bunch of co-writes and and was was working with Dwayne and um I was I was at Robert's Western World which is my one of my favorite bars in Nashville because it's just kind of traditional country and so I'm, I'm in there the band is amazing but there is a drummer there who is absolutely world-class and you could see this guy has an amazing future in front of him. So I'm in my, my co-write the next day with Dwayne, and, you know, he's the one who produced uh, Man of Constant Sorrow for me. And I said, Dwayne, like, and I know that Dwayne ships his, 
his drum tracks out to Australia, and that's where the drumming's all done. And I said, Dwayne, like, there's an amazing guy in town. And he looks at me and says, look, i got to pay for a studio. i got to pay wages for the musician. I've got to have all of this kind of stuff come together. And, and what happens if the engineer is off and I don't get the sounds that I want? I know my guy in Australia. He knows the sounds I want. His studio is set up just for doing this, so I get the same sound every time I you know, kind of dial it in this way or dial it in that way. And he's like, it's just efficiency. So I don't have to spend my day in the studio going, Hey, do this, do that, do this, do that. Right. Change this sound, change that. And we can spend eight hours on one drum track. I ship it off there and I'm already working on all the other parts on the song. And by the time the drums come back, I've already got the bass and the fiddle ready to go. And, you know, so it's, it's just efficiency. And, you know, we were talking about technology before, it's not going back. This is going to be the new way that music is created going forward, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, and part of me doesn't you, like it. You but seem torn. Like you seem like you're, you're you understand and and you you like parts of it, but you're missing out. Like we talked about, we we talked about this at length before. How many stars are now found on YouTube or TikTok who didn't go play in bars for just the the waitresses, the wait staff, or just the other artists on the card? Like mm-hmm. nobody else showed up. Now you're getting people who have hundreds of thousands of views on TikTok in 15 seconds who are becoming celebrities, not paying their dues. It's got to be tough for you as a guy that's done that to to kind of see that. Yeah, yes and no, because I don't think I would ever want to be a TikTok star. And <laughs> I mean, really, I mean, we've had this conversation before, too. Like, my goal is not to leave Manitoba. Yeah. Right. I, I treat Manitoba as this is my home. This is where I'm from. This is where I'll always be from. Yep. I want to play music here. I want to play world-class music here, but I'm not trying to be on the road 300 days a year. I like playing weekends. I like being with my family. I like being at home. I like time with my horses. That's what I want. So so my definition of a successful career is just actually what I'm doing. So it's kind of one of those where, yeah, TikTok is there, and I try to get into it a bit. I've got a TikTok account and whatever. I'll do some stuff now and again, but I'm not trying to be Brad Paisley never was never will so you're happy happy with how I'm doing but I am torn when we you know start working out of Toronto and shipping parts all across the country the product that you get is amazing and I'm the one paying for it <laughs> but so if it saves me some money by doing it that way and I get a great product it's like what business owner doesn't do it yep right but so it, it's it's you, you feel like you're, it's missing a little something like you would get in person that's right. And I mean, yeah. I'll listen to songs like, you know, Wild Horse Rider or um, something to me, like a bunch of our sort of singles from kind of two years ago. Mm-hmm. That was my band yeah. in the studio. That was John. That was Brenton. That was Adam. That was Mike. That was Bill Western, Sean Borden. Those are the guys that play with me all the time. That's who played in the studio. And we've never had an album that sounded more like quote unquote us. Right. And so I love that those tracks for that exact reason. And we'll probably go back and do that again in the future. Yeah. And, and you think about the opportunity that those, those guys get or other, you know, musicians are getting now, like it's otherworldly. It's just so many different opportunities than they would have gotten before, which is fantastic for Manitoba artists. Absolutely. So, so Mike Hebert, my drummer is down in Winkler. Um, 
and he's got his home studio. He teaches drum lessons for a career, and then he plays on the weekends, um, plays with me and a couple other bands. And, I mean, he's got his home studio set up so now he can drum track from home for anybody who's doing records. So that's, I mean, he's embraced it and his location and said, this is how I'm going to play music. And so that's fantastic. You got Brenton, who's on the road now with Tim and the Glory Boys nonstop. John, uh, my bass player, looks like Jesus, um, plays with Don Amaro now. So he's flying all over the country. So you, you end up losing guys from your family just because of like everyone everyone has their own career which is progressing and for one window we got to be on the same team for a little while we're still there we're still family but you got to understand that you got to let these guys go and and kind of pursue these other opportunities so when you do get together again I'm sure you pick up right where you left off. The conversations are probably still a lot of the same same things you were joking about before. It's a lot of miles in the same vehicle, so you <laughs> kind of have that rapport that will just never go away. Do you do you cherish those moments when you're on stage together a little bit differently when you when you have them go and that then come is back? Absolutely true. Yeah, absolutely true. Um, it's gonna be it's a it's a tough summer this year because suddenly everyone has music back. Right, and so it's like everyone's starting in June. So June fourth, we started McGregor, um, and it's like booking players was the hardest thing for me to do this summer. So I've got three different drummers, I've got four different bass players, I got three different fiddle players, two different steel players. It's like my entire summer is just going to have a different band every night, and I gotta understand and embrace that, and it is what it is. But at the same point, I remember those glory days where we could play thirty shows a summer with the same crew pretty much every night. So that's let's talk about that. What that ex- this summer is going to be like? Like you said, you got so many different guys. Putting the band together was difficult. Have, what's it like trying to get ready for shows with that many different guys? <laughs> I am absolutely stressed. And actually, <laughs> I think I think I've got a weekend in Saskatchewan, August fifth and sixth. If you're a bass player, I may call you. I I still don't think I found. I tried Manitoba and Saskatchewan for bass players so far, and I'm just. Striking out Boots and Hearts is in uh, Toronto that weekend And so there's a bunch of Manitoba players Who are out there And then there's Manitoba festivals going strong by then So they're booked with other artists So I can try But who knows I That's, think I'm still coming up blank. Well, it's he's got a little bit of time, thankfully. But yeah, uh, yeah maybe <laughs> anyone who really wanted to know what life on the road was like, yeah, it's two nights in Saskatchewan. Let's <laughs> let's go. <laughs> Talking to Quentin Blair in Studio Q. All right, so uh, let, let's talk about your summer schedule. You talked about playing a lot in, in Manitoba in, in Western Canada. What does your summer look like? How many dates are you doing in Manitoba? Oh, I think we're I think we're like fifteen, twenty, probably twenty dates. What's the best way to kind of track your schedule and, and find out where you are? If I was really good on my technology, I would have them all posted on my website by the time we had this conversation. But I'm not, and the reason behind that is I'm telling you in quotes that I'm just like, um, I'm releasing them as the shows are nearing, so no one's kind of building excitement. Let's there say. you go. So how uh, do we follow your social media? <laughs> I'm I'm at Quentin Blair on Instagram. That's my favorite platform. Quentin Blair Music on uh, Facebook, and then QuintonBlair.com on the website, and then. I think it's Quinton Blair Music on TikTok if you really want to follow it, but uh, I haven't done much <laughs> there. But but probably start this summer. I mean, we've got this this amazing cabin that uh, that uh, we just got in, out in Holland, and I think we're going to do a bunch of uh, like recording and songwriting and that kind of stuff based out there. So I, I'm thinking TikTok will become a bit more active heading into fall time uh, based on the cabin activity. But um, now it's going to be great. We've got, uh, you know, we're in, in McGregor, we're in Austin, we're in Holland, we're in New Bothwell, in Grunt and Morris and Carmen and you know everywhere that you can think of in Manitoba Falcon Lake Erickson 
and I'm, I, they've been waiting for you, and they, they've been waiting for live music, and yeah. it, the, the excitement that you feel is going to be matched by the audience is going to push you to go even harder and bigger, and it's, it's going to be a great give and take. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. All right, let's talk music a little bit here. Man of Constant Sorrow, we just played it actually on 107. Big fan of that song. I love your version of it. What was that like putting it together, and what was it like? What was the feedback like after you released it? Uh, a lot of really great feedback. A lot of people loved kind of that up-tempo, rock and country kind of vibe on it. And um, yeah, that was a, that was a song produced by Dwayne in Tennessee, but I was in Landmark, and I literally recorded the vocal tracks from my microphone in Landmark, and I sent him down just ten takes of everything and said pick what you like and so he went through and it's called comping it so he comped it all together and came back with what we've got but it was you know it started off with just a bunch of voice notes back and forth hey what do you think about this for arrangement or what do you think about this and that and and then at the same point too you trust your producer and say hey what do you want to do with it and then we shipped the uh, fiddle parts up to Brenton in in Selkirk just because I wanted to make sure it sounded like uh like us playing so and it does but yeah that's it, like it's playing. a home run yeah it's a home run yeah it's it's had a great uh a great uh, response for sure. Is there a worry when you send stuff out that it's not going to, like you said, like you wanted to make sure you send it to Brenton to, so it sounded like, is there a worry that it, it maybe loses a little bit of of its, you know, your feel when you send out stuff like that? Um, it is different. It is different. And you'll hear on this new track, like how it sounds different, but it's amazing. I love it. So it's, it's, almost like a little bit of a refreshing kind of take on it so were you worried that you wouldn't love it or did you kind of know when when you started putting it all together in your head you would love it yeah my producer is uh, Pete Lesperance in Toronto and he plays in a band called Harem Scarum so that's a hair metal band who's been around for 30 years and in our first conversations when I was starting to kind of develop this relationship and and he's like you know I'm kind of like he had a certain agenda as what he wanted to accomplish in a song. And I'm like, but I don't go into songs with agenda. And he says, that's all right. Do those songs with someone else. We're going to have an agenda. <laughs> so we go in and, and I sent him probably 20 songs that I thought he would like. And he kept on coming back to $20 bottle, $20 bottle. I'm like, are you sure you don't want to do Rust on it? That's a good song. And he says, nope, nope. $20 bottles a song that fits what I want to do and so uh, I just trusted him and I took it and I mean it's so funny to work with a world class guitar player from a different genre and then see him I mean he he works a ton in the country world um, but even like listening to the guitar solo on it you're like man the melody that he's establishing off of that uh, guitar solo just kind of carry the song forward and he's he's interwoven all these kind of country sensibilities of of he's got dobro and then he's got like honky tonk piano and this great fiddle solo and it's like he's weaving it all together with such an amazing vision so um, working with him was an absolute pleasure and uh, can't wait to follow this song up with a song called Someday Sunday which I wrote with Jason McCoy so That'll be the follow-up song, but we don't have a release date yet because we want to spin $20 bottle until it's done spinning because that's the modern world of music that we're in. Yeah, let's talk about that. Now, is there more pressure for you to, to follow up songs? Like you have Mana Constant Sorrow, and now you've got $20 bottle coming out, and you already know what you're putting out next, and you're just kind of in a wait-and-see mode. Is there more pressure to just now keep following single after single, or, or how do you feel about that? Actually, I feel no pressure because... We we had three songs in the can. That's what we'll call it, right? Yep. Three songs in the can forever, and we were just waiting to put them out. 
But if $20 comes out on May 30th and the tentative release date for Someday Sunday is going to be around September 1st, maybe September 15th, October 1st, that's going to carry us into Christmas. The next release is going to come in February after that. So really, I'm 10 months from the next like the next release that I need to write and have produced. So we'll go down to Tennessee a couple more times, do some more Skype writes and see what we kind of come up with. But yeah, it's a fun process, but I do not feel pressure right now because of that. I don't have to put out an album worth of songs. I was going to say, like, it, it's not like you have to come up with an EP of six brand new singles. You can, you can take your time. Yep. And that's got to be such a relief almost as an artist. Well, I think one of the biggest things that's, that has killed so many careers is the pressure to write your second album. Yeah. Your first album, they'll always say, you've got a lifetime to write your first album. It's your second album that's the hardest one to write uh, because you're usually on the road, you're touring, you're doing all this kind of media and this press work around your current album, but you've only got like a three-month window to get that next album out because now people are ready for you. Yeah. Whereas that Brett Kissel model is, he did seven singles before he released an album. So... That kind of changes your um, your pressure, I guess. Sure, and you know, like I used to, I used to be very narrow minded when it came to artists writing their own songs. I used to think that you had to be the your own writer. You write it, you perform it, and then when you learn just how many amazingly talented people there are behind the scenes writing mm-hmm. songs that you may never even know their name. That's where the music minute came in so handy, is you got to learn about the writing side of things. I learned a greater appreciation for writers. And so while there are artists that are performing songs that maybe they haven't written all of it or or any, or any of it, or maybe they've written parts of it, it's it's amazing to think how many songs are still being written right now that we haven't heard and may not hear for like three years. That's right. The, the, the time window on a hit can be 10 years. Yeah. Right? Colin Baton Rouge was recorded twice before Garth got it. Yep. And it only became a hit when Garth got it. Can you imagine being that songwriter going, oh, Bluegrass, Newgrass Revival is going to play the song. Eh, that's cool. <laughs> a bluegrass band is playing my song. Okay, that's cool. Oak Ridge Boys, hey, well, they're kind of at the tail end of their career, but maybe it'll be something. Yeah, they're still the Oak Ridge Boys. Yeah, yeah, still the Oak Ridge Boys. I, at least they'll get a paycheck from it. Yeah. You do. And then all of a sudden you get your $2 million royalty check in the mail because... <laughs> Troil, also known as Garth Brooks. Troil's his name. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Troil is his first name. Troil. Really? I've never heard that before. Nor I The think, guy is one of a kind, so it makes sense. It does. And if anybody was going to be named that, it would be him. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, that does make total sense. Yeah. And I love, actually, one of my favorite music minutes, and I wish I, like, because when you're doing the music minutes, you're... You're reading the research, you're <laughs> scripting it, you know the details on it. That was actually, in our, our early production, I used to say, I think this is what happened. You're like, you don't think, yes. you know, you yeah. know. <laughs> you know, you don't think. Yeah, yeah. yeah, so that's really what pushed me to go in and do my research. So now I'm going to come back and say, I think. But um, <laughs> the, the, the songwriters for Friends in Low Places were in a bar in Nashville, and they had like a running tab. And that tab got up to like 1200 1500 bucks. <laughs> and the bar owner said, like, okay, you got to like square up. Like, this is ridiculous. <laughs> but the guy had no money, right? This songwriter in Nashville struggling, trying to make it. They wrote this song. They knew that Troil was in the studio because he wasn't Garth yet. And um, he was in the studio cutting a bunch of demos. And so this is before his first album came out. And they're like, we think he's actually going to get signed. And we think they're going to put this song on hold. And he sells 
part of the the writing credit of that song to a bunch of record execs who are in the bar for fifteen hundred bucks, <laughs> and he pays off his bar tab. And that song's worth how many, like $20 million or something like that, right? One of the most profitable songs <laughs> yeah, of all time. Yeah. Goes to pay off a bar tab. Like, that is a yeesh. And to bring it all back, like, that next Friends in Low Places, that next Call of Baton Rouge, that next hit, it could be already written, and we just don't know it yet. Here's the thing. It is already written. It's not that it could be already written. It, al- it already is in existence on somebody's cell phone somewhere. Jesus, take the wheel good Canadian boy wrote that tune right like it's like it doesn't matter where you're from that's the thing when you go to Tennessee I mean Canadian artists typically write with Canadian writers so you know I'm down there and I'm writing with Dwayne I'm writing I wrote $20 bottle with Jason Blaine and it's like I got a ton of Canadian friends down there and it's weird that there's two different circles but the other part of it too is that if you have too much of an American presence on your song it can make it harder to export it to Canada because then if it's if you record with American players in the US and it's written by a bunch of Americans and you're just the Canadian well technically it's an American product then yep. and it's harder to get the permission to export it out of there and you don't get the same amount of spins in Canada if it's if it's labeled as an American song Canadian Absolutely. radio rules are very different where we're actually required to play a, a certain amount of purely Canadian artists whether it's artists uh, written by produ- produced by there are rules in Canada yep. to, to make Canadian artists on the forefront, and you lose that if you end up having too much, for lack of a better term, too much American on it. Absolutely, yep. No, so I mean, there's so there's definitely two different sides of Nashville, um, but it is just interesting to to go there and be a part of it, and you know, whatever. I got to sit at Sony A and R. Um, a bunch of years ago and it's cool looking on the wall and seeing you know photos of their artists so it's Willie it's Waylon it's it's Clint Black it's Charlie Pride it's it's, it's so cool to kind of sit in that that room and go holy cow this done is done a music legit. minute on him done a music <laughs> minute on him done a music <laughs> yeah exactly so I mean it's just neat to kind of go there and, and um, see that kind of stuff but you know in reality like you know, Stapleton has a different drawer. I mean, he's writing his own, I guess, but, but yeah, Morgan like Luke, Wallen has Morgan a different Wall- yeah. pool of songs that he pulls from. So there's top drawer songs that Canadian artists will never get a sniff at. Yeah, so. and you'll never even know. And and again, like it's so like talking to Jason Kirkness too. It's it's funny how you hear this how a song gets to an artist is mm-hmm. usually one of the one of the most unique journeys that a song takes is how it eventually finds an artist and how they mold it into their own. And you've been behind the scenes, like you've seen the process. Like it's a fascinating display when you're a music lover. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. The, the, and they, they always say that, that a good song will rise to the top and that's a bunch of, that is, that's not bogus. true. No, it's, it's simply not. Cause there are so many good songs that just don't get, they don't get the proper voice. They don't get the proper yeah. production. They don't get the proper airplay on radio. They don't get the proper push. So many good songs are missed out on. Yeah, that that one super great tune that ever the stars align and it's the mega hit that you want it. To, that's the that's the unicorn. Yeah, absolutely right. You know, and you, you think about there's there's songs and I'm trying to think of of the reference and I can't remember what it is, but like uh, Keith Whitley and George Strait both recorded the same tune, and when it's George. It's George, and I'm a huge Keith Whitley fan. Yeah, but that's the hit, right? And Doug Supernaw did that with a song with Kenny Rogers. Kenny Rogers' song was a hit, but like uh, Mark Chestnut had a song at the same time as a different artist. I can't remember that. But anyways, songs have been put out very closely together by also high-profile artists, but 
one seems to hit and stick, and that was the home run. That one, the other one was a fly ball deep to left, and unfortunately, out at the warning track. Yeah, out at the warning track. Away she goes. Yep. Quentin, it's different for you, and because you do not necessarily want to be played in America, do you? Do you care if you get your radio station playing in the I, states? I've no, no. The, the the money to put out a single in the states is like I don't know, call it two hundred fifty thousand dollars. It's insane. I'll never, I'll never ever want to do that. So I'm working on winning the lottery, though. So if I do, I'll let you know. We'll have one we'll, shot. We'll, we'll have, have one, one shot. shot and here we go. <laughs> uh, yeah. So a lot of the Canadians down there are they in a similar mindset where they're you know content making it in Canada versus trying to pry their way into the states where the 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 pool's a lot deeper or yeah. or how do you you got how do, guy, you, how do you view it? You've got guys like Brett Kissel or. Um, uh, High Valley had a U.S. deal. Um, Emerson Drive came up from the states. Yep. Like you got a lot of bands like Tim and the Glory Boys spend a ton of time touring the states and trying to break into that market because there's just, I mean, economies of scale. Like, what are there thirty shows you can play a year in Canada if you're kind of an artist at Kissel's level, and then you can't come back for eighteen months after that because you need people to miss you and want you back again. Right. So, uh, you understand why those guys kind of go down there. I mean, same problem for Cor Blunt. He's been kind of road dogging forever in Canada, and it's like you have to go to the U.S. If if you want to find a new market. Um, I'm not too concerned about that. I mean, if I did get airplay in the States, that'd be great. But if you want a song to chart on radio, the dollars to get that is absolutely ridiculous. So, Does that limit the producer pool? Does that limit the writer pool? Because, you know, those people behind the scenes want the bigger markets in the States as opposed to giving it to, to Canadian artists necessarily? Maybe, maybe a little bit. Um, you got to have somebody who believes in your project to to want to do that. So, you might look at you know some of those writers may not want to do a lot of co writing with guys that are kind of sort of on the on the up and coming level right. or whatever you want to say. But at the same point, I've never had an artist. I mean, I wrote a song with Clayton Bellamy from the Roadhammers like ten years ago. Right, and he was the one who came after me to co-write because he also understands like you gotta have friends everywhere in this industry, right? And so even with Jason and I, we've been uh, with McCoy, we've been talking about co-writing back and forth for years. Every time we see each other, finally we wrote one, and it's gonna be one that we release, and it's gonna be one that makes us money. So at the end of the day, he gets a bit of money off of my song. Now, how much? I mean, he's better off if he co-writes a song with George Canyon than writing with me but whatever it is what it is it is what it is yeah and you think about a guy like Derek Rutan which has done done that for he's, he's my favorite built a career on it down in Nashville he's, yeah. he's an incredible writer was a terrific performer but boy he's just a fantastic writer and he, and he gets it right yeah yeah and I mean he, he made that decision to say you know what I'm not interested in touring yep. I don't need to play the game I like writing. I like living in Tennessee. We're going to sit at this table and we're going to write songs. Okay, so when you're in Nash, when you're down in Nash, you, you write in Nashville, right? Like that's where or Tennessee. Some, some? yeah, 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 in Nashville, yeah. Okay. But but I mean at the same point too, like you say that and you're like, oh, I went down to Nashville to do some writing, and I usually say Tennessee. I don't even usually say Nashville. <laughs> and I went down to Tennessee to do some writing and stuff like that, and you're just like. <laughs> Did I need to? Well, I could have just written it on Skype, too. It could've, is different when you're in person. It very much is. Because my question is, and I've heard a lot of people say, you know, I've gone here to write, I've gone there to write. This is such a, a like a basic question that I almost feel super simple for asking it, but I'm curious. When you're in a group like that, how does every song not end up sounding the same? Because you're in that room, and like, how do you end no, up? It, it does sound the same. <laughs> That's the thing. It does sound the same. Like there's a there's a algorithm for writing a song, and that algorithm has to be followed. So if you want to play a song on country radio, 
It cannot be six minutes long. It can't be, you know, Bohemian Rhapsody kind of thing. It has to have three, maybe four chords. And there's a weird thing that's happening right now. Um, normally the chords are the one chord, the four chord, the five chord, the six chord. If you can count, whatever. That's just that's called Nashville numbers. That's how you count. So one, four, five are your common major chords in a song, and you need to have a minor chord to add a little distance. So it's the six, it's the six minor. But what you see right now happening is people are adding in the two minor, which it's so songs like Drinking Problem, uh, More Than My Hometown, Are You One of Them Girls? Like those songs are now including the two minor, which is interesting because that was a 70s thing to do ian tyson was famous for just every song is like a one two five progression instead of a one four five and it's funny because the two and the four can be related that's music theory now (laughs) we're kind of diving in deep but but um people are are changing the way that they're voicing it they're trying to to go a little bit outside the box but you can't go far outside that box in fact so you look at that um uh, can't love you more than my hometown. Mm-hmm. Okay, so from Morgan Wallen. That's probably my favorite song from him. That songwriting is immaculate. There is a reason that was a top drawer song. Some people like him, some people hate him. I think a lot of people like him, but but like it's kind of one of those things where that song is top drawer, but it's four chords. They run in the same order. There's not even a change on the chorus. There's yep. no change on the bridge. It's just. Four chords around and around, and and we were at band practice the other day, and we're gonna we're gonna play that song this summer because I just love the songwriting so much, and it's like, is that now just the way that country goes? Like it's just the same, it's just four chords in a row, and don't change a progression. And I'm sitting there going like, who's a songwriter who couldn't think of changing that progression? Why couldn't you? Put in a minor six. Why couldn't you put right. in a diminished chord? Why couldn't you put in a major two instead of a minor two? Why can't you be musical in your songwriting? But that's because the algorithm doesn't allow for you to do that. So the fact that they're adding a minor two, which is like the simplest modulation to what their chord structure is, the fact that they're adding those in is already breaking the rule because that chord technically is not in very many songs in modern country music. So, you know, it's exciting. Songs all sound the same, and you, yeah, you're kind of going, Ooh, "It's a minor two, it's a minor two. Or actually, there's a there's a substitution on um, on uh, like uh, I want to sweep you off your feet tonight, the John Party song. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and then in Friends in Low Places does the same thing where it goes from like a like a four major to a four minor, and it's a substitution kind of chord, and it's like that's cool when they do that. But I'm like, I just wish there's more kind of musicality like that in country music. But the reality is that those are things that get you outside the algorithm that they have to be a massive hit in order to put it in there. And when it is the the right hit, the right time, the right song, the right placement of the chord, it's like, that's what changes the song. Right. And all of a sudden you're like, that chord defines the song right there. But Which can then define where country music would go from that point on. Like you can probably put uh pins in a map of watching where okay this is the moment that you know friends in low places changed how country music was going to be written or, or performed yep. for the next decade plus or yep. maybe forever and then you track it along that way all the way to even you make stops at luke bryan and yep. now you're making stops at chris stapleton and luke combs they, every time they release something they change the direction of where country music is going. Yep, absolutely right. So when your your question is is when you get all these natural people together into the same room and they songwrite for a living, how do the songs not sound the same? 
they do sound the same. Yes. And it's a matter Musically, of, they sound the same. Now, lyrically, it's got to be a completely different challenge. You got to figure they're using the same lines. You got to <laughs> figure <laughs> You got to figure that. How many times can you just say the same English yeah. words in a sentence? However, what I find is writing with guys, especially with McCoy, he's the best one at it that I've ever come across, they can riff. And riff and riff and it's just like how about this idea about like someday Sunday um, you know like kind of making time for those things that you always want to do he's like I always said one day we were gonna roll down that old gravel road I'm like oh I got it <laughs> got a bottle of red in that old truck bed and just see where things go and I'm like how are you doing this in the moment <laughs> and it's like co- co-writing with a guy like that is like Mind blowing. It sounds like he's written 10,000 songs, but it's because he has written 10,000 songs. And songwriting, they'll always tell you, is like a muscle. The more you do it, the better you get at it. So, um, is it intimidating to co write with people? Like, how do you, Jason especially? Yeah, like, how do you get your ideas across without being too forceful? And how do you not bend on what you believe in when they're trying to put you in a direction you don't want to go? Right. A lot of times, I'll, I'll end up sort of they're always saying like for the sake of the song like swallow your pride for the sake of the song so if you say something and I say something it should actually be a race to be the first one to submit for the sake of the song now if you really truly believe in it you can hold your point and the other person will probably bend okay so it's a very much like a like a very strong give and take so in this $20 bottle song um, I wanted to have this moment of like kind of reference to country gold of the 90s and I wanted to use Keith Whitley. I wanted Keith Whitley. And Jason's like, are you sure? I'm like, yes. I was like, I don't even know. Like, why would we put that in there? And I'm like, because that makes it real to me as the, as the singer. Right. And then we go to Pete in Toronto to produce a song. He's like, why did you use Keith? And I'm like, because that's what makes it real to me. So I held on to that reference because that was something that would resonate with me every time I sang the song. So... Yeah, songwriting is a is a fun fun game, but it, it's it's frustrating too because you can be in some rights with really great writers, and just hit a roadblock, and you're just going like, "We'll finish the song," but I don't think it's going to be anything. And to tell you the truth, that's what I thought happened with Twenty Dollar Bottle. I thought I wrote a song with Dwayne the day before called "Burn Another Sunset," and I'm like, "That is a song. <laughs> that is a song, man. That's going to be great. This is going to be the next single that we come up with." And then I went into the write with uh, Jason the next day, and we kind of wrote a really solid hook for the song, and it, and it came together really well. We're sitting in his living room in, in uh, Nashville, and we're just having this great time. And by the, by the end of the song, I'm like, it's pretty good. It's pretty good, but I don't think it's Burn Another Sunset good. I think this song is going to get shelved. And then I sent it down to Toronto, and exactly the reverse happened. And now it's like... How did I ever think about not recording this song? <laughs> like, if you want a song that's QB, this song is QB. But in the moment, I didn't, I didn't even recognize it for what it is. But I think this song is going to do big things. What's it like in that moment when, when it all comes together and you hear it, like, like you said, when it, when it all just, this is the, this is the, this is it. Yeah. What's that moment like for you? That's pretty crazy. I mean, to sit there and like. Like when I was in Toronto in November uh, tracking all the vocals and we're doing like the bass sessions and the fiddle sessions while I'm there, it's kind of like this moment where you're just like, 
I kind of can't believe this is my song. I kind of can't believe that I wrote this song and this is what it sounds like. And the guys are just ripping on it and like a honky tonk piano solo. I'm like, who does that? <laughs> so it, and, sounds, it sounds so 90s country. I love it. Like that's, I'm a child. That's, that's the school I went to was 90s country. So yeah, nitty, you're a nitty gritty dirt band guy yeah. at, at the core. That's what got you in. And that's, and you, you still hear elements of it uh, in, in your music today. And now that was a band that started as a joke band, a jug band. Yep. In California. Learn that. Yeah, and Fishing in the Dark was a song that was written as a joke. <laughs> and they played it at a songwriter round, and the producer from, for the Dirt Band from California was at that songwriter round. He's like, I want to hold that song for this band I'm producing. And they're like, the nitty-gritty who? <laughs> and this song's called Fishing in the Dark. And, you know, biggest, here we are. One of the biggest songs of all time, I Absolutely. Guess. I think it's amazing. Yeah, uh, Quentin, it's been amazing talking with you. I love chatting music. Uh, you're going to fire up the guitar and actually play a song for his life? I can play your song, absolutely. I would love to. So we'll, we'll take a quick pause, and then you'll come back, and uh, you'll surprise us with a tune. How's that sound? Sounds great. The Country 107 Morning Show with Dave Anthony. Oh, great. It's great to be back in studio with Quentin, guitar in hand, and... Um, Love that sound. It's it's so nice to have music back in the 107 studio again. Yeah, absolutely. And you know what? I promised you when COVID was was happening that you would be the first guy back in studio to play music. And sure enough, here we are. Here we are. Uh, you were going to play one of uh, my, it's still my, my favorite song. You say that might change down the road with what you got coming up. But tell us about the song you're going to play for us. This this is the song that uh, really started everything kind of in motion. Um, I was playing at a restaurant in town called the Brass Lantern, and I used to play there every. Actually, this song started actually in Grunthal, so let's let's uh, you know take tip, it all the way back. Tip our hats where where we need to tip our hats to, and uh, I was hired every second Friday night to uh, to play their steak and shrimp night and I felt like man I am doing something if I'm hired every second Friday night and I pull up at the restaurant it was called Country Dining at the time and pulled up at the restaurant and there's a big highway sign up front and it said steak and shrimp and Quentin Blair for eight ninety nine <laughs> best deal of the day <laughs> I play there every second Friday till the health inspector shut them down <laughs> moved over to the brass lantern and i played uh every second saturday night and it was there that i was playing and it's playing a restaurant is kind of a different kind of gig because people are there to visit with their friends they're not there to listen so one thing that i learned very early on is if i tell a story if i'm talking to somebody's going to listen. Somebody's going to stop the conversation. They're going to listen to me for a little bit. And then they'll go back to the conversation. But my way of earning their ear is by talking to them, not by playing the song. It's kind of like that theory, like, if you talk quieter, more people are going to listen kind of thing. So that's what I would do. And that's where I learned to come become a storyteller was the Brass Lantern. So I, I can't say enough about those gigs. But sure enough, there's two guys in the corner. They turn their chairs around and they start listening. And I'm like, who are these guys are dressed in suits and all fancy and stuff like that? And they call us over to the table and I said, you don't know if, uh, if you know this or not, but, uh, you know, we're from Golden West Radio and we really like what you're doing and we'd like to help you out. And uh, that kind of opened up the doors for a whole number of different things to transpire for myself. And so um, this song was uh, kind of near and dear to my heart because I feel like this is one of the stories that they were listening to that kind of drew them in. Um, and it's the first song that got kind of radio play all over this province and even a bunch into Saskatchewan. So it was my first kind of dive in. And it's a song about the Southeast, right? Like it's it's a time when 
hog and beef prices were down. Lowen Windows was laying off a bunch of staff. Um, you know, and it's a song about, you know, small towns falling on hard times, but still finding love in the midst of it all. So uh, I played it in Grunthal the first time, and I said, this song's for you. And it says, the, the hook line is like, it breaks my heart watching this town die, but time keeps on ticking. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, ooh. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't didn't mean it like that. That's not (laughs) what I meant. (laughs) But I've had such a great relationship with Hanover Egg through the years that uh, uh, this song, every time I think about it, I tell stories about Grunthal and about the Southeast all over this beautiful country of ours. And sometimes funny when I go into play in the States and you get onto these songwriter nights and you tell these stories and, you know, most people's stories like, I wrote this song in Tennessee and then everyone takes a drink because that's the drinking game because everyone says that. And then that's their story. And I'm like, wow, I've actually got a six-minute monologue to this song <laughs> that talks the about... The Odyssey called by Quentin Blair. <laughs> that's right. That's right. So, uh, yeah, here we are. This is, this, is, uh, this is the OG of radio songs for me. I, I, maybe, arguably my biggest hit. Maybe. Maybe not. I don't know. But it's to called, date. Because well, yeah. there's still some good stuff coming down the there's, pipe, buddy. There's always something coming, absolutely. But this is uh, Time Keeps on Ticking. Lived a few miles from the border And one night across the line And I pulled off the highway When I saw a small town sign I ordered up my car That's when she caught my eye I had a little cafe diner Off Highway 59 And she said I was crazy Stop here in this old town Nobody stops no more Since they shut the factory down Old men still hang around But no one stops to listen Well, it breaks her heart Watching this town die But time It keeps on ticking killed a couple hours She showed me around The feed mill and the co-op And the factory they shut down She told me how she grew up On a farm just east of here Black Angus crossbred heifers And her daddy team roped steers And she said that she was crazy To stay here in this old town Everybody's moved on And the price of beef is down Old men still hang around And no one stops to listen well, It breaks her heart Watching this town die But time It keeps on ticking Well, they scratched and clawed The year the border closed the Feeding calves they couldn't breed should have sold an education that no schooling could replace and as a girl she loved the wind on her face I said I was crazy to stop here in this old town I could have missed the exit never turned around 
But if these old men still hang around, I'd like to go and listen. Cause it breaks my heart watching this town die. But tonight, I wouldn't miss it. A little, I got a little teary. It's just nice to have music back. It's one of my all-time favorite songs, and uh, yeah, it's just great. It's just great having you back, man. Good to be back, man. All right, uh, where can people find the new the new stuff? Your 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 schedule, where you're going to be? How can people track you? QuintonBlair.com. Follow me on Instagram at QuintonBlair. Uh, you find a lot of cool stuff. We didn't even talk about all the horseback riding stuff. No, we, we didn't. You know what? Forever. I guess we're going to have to get you back in. Let's do it. Yeah. I guess just another excuse to get you in studio. I'm in. I'm in. And if you want to come with like a, a shortened music minute the next time, I wouldn't say no. <laughs> Love it. Okay, I'll do that. There we go. Quinton, thanks so much for coming in. Thanks for having me, bud. The Country 107 Morning Show with Dave Anthony. Weekday mornings only on Country 107.